I don't know if you ever feel like you're swimming upstream. You feel like all the current of all everything in the world is pushing you back and pushing you back. I like the way Jared just prayed, prayed that this would be a place of refuge. It seems like sometimes we come here on Sundays and it almost becomes and should maybe become that place of refuge where we come out of the mainstream, out of the current of culture, and we pull ourselves aside for for an hour or so and we kind of hopefully refocus. Maybe you've been on the rapids this week. Maybe you've tried to stand up for your faith in some way and and some rock has nailed you upside the head. Life in the streams and the currents that we live in are come sometimes overwhelming. And, and if you've ever tried to swim upstream, it is a challenge to your fitness and because you push against the current. And you can only do that if you can overpower the, the current. But again, you use that metaphor to come aside almost like a pool in the side of of a, of, a, of a busy stream where maybe you can get aside. And, of course, then you think about Jesus using the metaphor of Him being living water and, and Him be, putting inside of us a spring of living water. So it actually fits exactly in with that metaphor, the fact that we kind of come aside and we find that cool, fresh water. But then we go back out. We can't stay in here. This is not where God called us to live. It's like a football team. God did not call the football team to live in the huddle. He called them to live on the playing field and to, and to play the game. Now, as we sit here and we live this life of Christian faith, and we, we find that the world is pushing against the Christian faith, and what I see is that more and more that the current of our culture is stronger and stronger pushing against us. I don't know if you feel that. But as, as, I, as, as I really see people trying to, in culture, live out their faith, it becomes more and more difficult as the stream gets faster and faster and more violent at times and even hostile against us. I, I would say that the culture and the world in which we live is hostile to Christianity. It's hostile to the Christian faith. Now, how do we live in that? How do we see that? I see it a couple of ways. I see it one and through an isolation effect that's happening in society where society is, is seeking to push Christianity out of the mainstream and being quite successful with it, I must say. Push Christian thought, Christian values, Christian perspectives, Christian worldview. Push it off mainstream. And to get it to the side, get it over on the banks of the river. Get it over there and let it just fall off the edge of, the, uh, of some waterfall or something like that into oblivion. Whether it's taking the Ten Commandments out of government buildings or prayer out of schools or manger scenes out of community gatherings. It's just the whole idea that just take that Christianity and let's just isolate it. Talked to a person just this week who said, I can't take my faith to work with me because, because I've been told to be quiet with my faith. You know, I think, again, the world is trying to isolate the Christian faith. Also, I think there's philosophical shifting that's going on in our, in our culture today. Maybe because of the isolation, we have a philosophical shift where it's moving away from a, a Christian biblical worldview that, that we suffer from. And, and how do we live in this world? If you're a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, sin-hating, Satan-defeating, God-creator believer, you're odd. You belong on Little House on the Prairie or something like that, or the Waltons. You don't belong in 21st century America. 
21st century America is free thinking, is, is much more nimble, is much more free, is, and all that kind of thought. It's not anything of absolutes. It's, it's tolerance. That's what we preach. That's what we are taught to believe that that is the way of the world. And, and interesting, George Barna has done so much research in our society. And he said of the biblical worldview, and this is basically the criteria of a biblical worldview, holds to the authority and the accuracy of the Bible, the sinless nature of Jesus, the, little, the literal existence of Satan, the omnipotence and the omniscience of God, the salvation by grace alone, and personal responsibility to evangelize. Those are key values of the Christian faith. Now, how many people do you think in your world live and believe that? You ask Barna in his studies. He, he found that of college-age students and early adults, 18 to 23, only 1% of Americans believe those, those tenets. Have a biblical world view. He said your, your, your chances of getting struck by lightning are greater than finding a college student or a young adult who has that kind of worldview about life. So there's philosophical shifting. There's this isolation effect. And we're living in it. And sometimes when you're living in the stream of it all, you just kind of float down the stream. But the Bible calls us to be countercultural, to swim upstream, to be different than the world. What does that look like? And how do you do that? And how do you, how do you fight swimming upstream when the current's pushing you so rapidly and so violently and so hot with such hostility against you? How do we do that? And there's so many views out there. So many views. I want to just give you a couple of them. One is that there's this posture of being defensive against. That we can stand up and we must fight against this. And, and that leads to more of a combative spirit. And, and what the world ends up hearing is not what we're for. They hear what we're against. They hear we boycott this, we boycott that, we stand up against that, we lead revolts, we hold up signs. Even had people hold up signs that God hates fags. Now that really won a whole lot of people to Jesus. It doesn't. So you can have a combative spirit about it, and I think those are the ones who put damn in fundamentalist. It's, just a, it's not a healthy spirit and approach to dealing with this culture. It doesn't win people. It may win an argument in your mind. It definitely doesn't win an argument in their mind. There's also the relevant too. That leads to a compromise message. That I'm just going to, you know, the blood's offensive, so I'm going to take the blood out of the message. The cross is offensive. It doesn't, it's not relevant to our culture, so we're not going to talk about the cross. And there are people who would, who would say that the message of Christ is not relevant, so let's not talk about Christ. Let's talk about feel-good stuff. Happy thoughts. Oprah theology is what I call it. And, and, and let's just, just be relevant to our culture. And the problem with that is, is that then you have nothing to share that challenges the soul and the spirit of who we are and the direction that we're going. You're just floating along the stream and having happy thoughts all along in your little, your little float down the river. That's a danger, a dangerous way to go. We've said from the beginning that we want to be a relevant church, but we also want to be a rooted church. Rooted in Scripture and never should, in fact, I'll say it like this, rootedness always trumps relevancy. I want to be relevant to our times and to our place and to the people that we're seeking to reach and understand that and be relevant in life, but not to the point that we compromise our message. See, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods change. Principles never do. 
And we're staying on the side of principle. And in the principles, we're going to be rock solid. Methods can change constantly at Grace Point Church. You just get ready. We're in a constant state of flux. The third response to this tide, to this philosophy, to, is, is the purity uh, from just get away from the world. Leads to a segregated life. Just run from the world. The world is evil. Take your kids out of school. Obama's the Antichrist. And, and everything else is bad out there. Run for the hills. I know of people who have done that. Moved to shelters for fear of the end of times is coming. Listen, when the end of times comes, I'm going. I don't want to go run and hide. I'm ready to go. So there, it becomes this kind of segregated lifestyle. And that's not healthy either, but they have a theme verse for that. And you must read it from the King James Version too. It's 2 Corinthians 6.17. Come out from among them and be ye separate. That would be their theme. I don't see any of that as a healthy balance. There's a biblical model. Yes, you could probably find verses to support every single one of those, but I don't see it as a theme throughout Scripture, any of those. I think the third one is a... Probably, excuse me, a fourth one is probably of a more biblical model. And that is learning how in this culture, in the postures that we can have, it's how to be faithful in. How to have a faithful presence in our culture. Yes, we are going to be countercultural. Yes, we are going to be different. Yes, but we are going to be faithful to the beliefs that we have, but yet at the same time we are going to with great intentionality live in this world and be a part of this world and help to influence this world. That's what we want to be about. It's kind of like this. The best way I can explain it is learning to play away. If you were the Yankees playing in a divisional title game in Fenway Park in Boston, if you don't want to know baseball, this means nothing to you. But if you know baseball, you know the Yankees and the Red Sox hate each other. And you just think about if you're on the Yankees team and you're playing in Boston at Fenway Field in a division title game, you are not going to be well received. The umpires are questionable. The commentators are questionable. The fans are questionable. Everything's questionable at that point. And what we have to realize as believers in Christ is we live in a world that is no longer Christian. We're no longer living in Christendom. We are now living in what's called post-Christendom where the Christian beliefs and values that you once shaped our culture are no longer shaping our culture. In fact, they're being kicked out. They're being removed. How do we respond to that? We have all these options. But faithful presence is, I believe, the way that God would call us to live. Take your Bibles. We find the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Back in the Old Testament, you'll find this man named Jeremiah. A prophet to a people... A whole long story I can't even go into. He was prior to the exile, and he was also a prophet during the exile. But an amazing story happens and folds in, in Jeremiah 29. And a very popular verse we'll come to at the very end of verse 11. Probably the most popular verse in all the book of Jeremiah. More people out of the book of Jeremiah claim that as their verse than any other verse in Jeremiah. It is the verse. But if you take that verse out of context, you miss the power and the impact of it. Verse 29.11 is the popular one, but you've got to understand verses 1 to 11 before you can get to verse 11. And see, the challenge is that Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel, but in 588 B.C., the nation of Israel became exiled. 
Jeremiah was one of the ones who was left behind, a part of the remnant. But the rest, the, the educated, the, the iron workers, the, the kings and the princes and the, and the queens, and all of them, they were all the, the brains of the group. They were all exiled into a pagan nation called Babylon. Not a good place to go. Not a good place to live. Not friendly to the worship of God, Yahweh, as we would worship Him. Not friendly at all. In fact, if you were to, to worship Yahweh and not Nebuchadnezzar the king, you know the stories of Daniel. You tell them to your kids all the time. You talk about if you didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar, you'd find yourself in a lion's den. You'd find yourself in a fiery furnace. You'd find yourself uh, in, in all kinds of horrible situations if you weren't worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. And yet it is this ungodly nation that God uses and puts His people in. You getting where I'm going? We may not be being exiled, but we are seeing a cultural transformation happening in our culture where no longer is it a Christian culture. It is now a post-Christian where no longer is Christian values honors. They're now laughed at and sneered at as if something on the Waltons or something. So how do we live in this culture? How do we live and respond to this manner of living? Now, how did God call him? Let's look at verse 29, uh, excuse me, chapter 29, verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter of Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem. So he's in Jerusalem writing to, the Bab- writing to Babylon where the Israelite people are, the Hebrew people. To the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So it's everything I just shared with you right there. In verse one, this was king, uh, and this was, uh, excuse me, and this was after King uh, Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So he writes this letter to these very. You see that list, that that, that list of people: kings, queens, officials, craftsmen, skilled labor. All of them are gone only leaving a very few back in the nation of Israel. Puts them in this pagan nation. What was God up to? What was He thinking? Why would He do that? Take them from their promised land. Take them from their Christian, if you will, or Jewish nation and allow them to go into exile. But while He was doing that, He had a plan. And in this plan, it wasn't to lead a revolt. It wasn't to boycott the Babylonian people. It wasn't to run to, to the hills and to become communes in their own. It wasn't, it wasn't to synchronize with the culture and to become like the Babylonians either. It was telling them, while you're there, be faithful in that culture. Now keep reading with me. Skip down to verse 4. Just in case you think this was a cruel, unusual, and God was off the throne, He turned His head for a few moments and something fell apart. In, on earth, he says, and thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the letter that, that Jeremiah writes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent in to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We are living in a day, as I've stated, that is very unchristian friendly. And it doesn't make sense, and why did our 
founding fathers do this and believe this, establish this, and I really like it like that, and I wish it was back like that, and how do I get it back like that, and what, what do I do, and, and all that kind of stuff. For 70 years, the Israelites lived in exile. For 70 years, God used a pagan king in a pagan nation to shape his people back to him, to bring his people back to him again. So now we have this situation where they're there, and what are they to do there? Are they to boycott? Are they supposed to synchronize with the culture and just be kind of meshy and become one with them and believe their thoughts and worship Nebuchadnezzar? What are they to do in this kind of hostile environment? I think it's the same challenge for us. We live in a new day. We talked about last week, ministering within. We're talking about this week, how to minister without. How are we to be in ministry without? I think there's two things I want you to take away today. Number one, we need to learn to be a part of the community. Be a part. Attach ourselves. Be in the community. We have to redefine what Christianity is. There is a very unfriendly feel and belief about Christianity in America today. Read the book Unchristian by Kinnaman and Lyon. Amazing book surveying people who are not Christians looking at the church how do they see us? And boy, when you put on the lenses of an unchurched, unbelieving person far from God and how they see the church, it wakes you up. We, the church, the believers, living in exile, if you will, must redefine what the Christian faith is. And it's not just the tenets of what we believe. It is not just standing up and, and boycotting or all these other things. It is much more than that. It is learning to be the faith, and not just believe the faith. It is learning to actually take our faith and let it mesh into our lives as we become a part of the community and allow our faith and work and life and school and everything to become together. Look at verse 5 and 6, and you can see uh, Jeremiah is writing again from the Lord. He's saying, now what are you going to do in Babylon, you guys? Here he tells you what to do. Build your houses. Live in them. Plant your gardens and eat their produce. Eat their produce. Wow. You're actually going to pull up the table and sit down and you're going to eat with a pagan? You're going to eat with a Babylonian? That's absurd. We're Jews. We're, we're separatists. We can't do that. You know, what if we started rubbing shoulders with people a little more often who are not of the faith? Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives of your sons and Give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not crease. He says basically become a part of the community. If I could translate it that or put that into our modern day language, listen, join the civic club. Become a part of the city council. You know, coach a baseball team. Build a house. Get a job. Join the bank. Put your money in the bank. Become a part of the community. Don't become a separatist. Become a part. Now, my question to all of us today is how are we a part? Now, I don't like what I'm seeing. I wish it was back like the old days. And I do too. I wish it was back when the blue laws. I don't know if any of y'all lived when the blue laws were around. Some of y'all have no clue what a blue law is. The blue laws when you couldn't buy or shop on Sunday. You know what? If it weren't for the churches going to the stores and going to the restaurants, we wouldn't have to worry about it. But we let out and everybody goes to the restaurant. We keep the, we're, it's the church that keeps the businesses open on Sunday. Think about it. Not the laws. The laws just made it way for us. 
So we live in a culture, again, where those blue laws were great. Okay, but you know what? If it's out of our heart, it doesn't matter what the law says. It must be a part. We must be in the community and a part of the community. Wherever we are, we must be all there. Why, how are you a part of this community? How can you impact this community and be a, a presence, a faithful presence? We're not asking for compromise. In fact, I'll tell you, the, the, the initial thought is, is you think about joining this un this pagan, unbelieving group of people over here, you might think, oh no, they may rub off on me. And they might, but you know what? You might rub off on them if you were a faithful presence. You think about the examples in Scripture when the people were in exile. You think about Nehemiah. Go study the life of Nehemiah. Where did Nehemiah leave to go back to Israel from? He was a cupbearer to King, the great, the great Cyrus the Great. He was a cupbearer. He was an advisor. He was a trusted friend. He was a trusted ally right there with the king. Nehemiah made himself available in a pagan culture. was a part of that pagan culture. Then you go on and you look at the life of Daniel. Daniel, you see the exact same thing. You see Daniel being a part of a pagan nation. And being a part of that nation, he, he influenced that nation. Now, he did not compromise. You never see him eating the food. You never see him praying to Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, they ended him up in, in some pretty hot places at times because he didn't pray. But God shut the mouths of lions, and God did not burn him when he was in the fiery furnace because God took care of him. So God is going to call us to lead where we are. Wherever we are, it's not perfect, it's not, it's not beautiful, it's maybe not everything I would want my culture to be, but we need to learn to lead where we are. We're going to have this conference here in a few, months, a few weeks, months, whatever, three months, uh, a Global Leadership Summit. And I can just tell you one real quick statement about that. This is going to be one of those elements that we're going to have as a part of our church to help our people know how to live in this world and to be a leader in this world and keep their faith alive. Because there's a major disconnect, and some of y'all, as soon as I say this next statement, know what I'm saying because you've been told it. Don't bring your faith to work. Don't bring your faith to school. We had one of our children told by one of the third grade, I believe it was, teachers growing up, he was doing a story. It was a creative story write. He wrote a story from the Bible. It's a creative thing to read a story and bring that story to class. Well, he told the teacher what story it was. It was a Bible story. Here it is, and... And God bless America, Northwest Arkansas. And the teacher sent a note home. He could not tell a Bible story in class. Again, we are swimming upstream. We very politely clearly went to the teacher and said, you may not be able to tell a story in class, but he can. And she agreed at that point. The point is, is that we are going to be constantly pushed. We don't have to compromise. No compromise. Live your faith. But how do we... How do, how do we lead where we are? Think about that conference and be a part of that in August. Wherever you are, lead where you are. Lead out in your faith. Now, here's the second thing that you need to think about. Second thing, the way we can, we can live in this hostile environment, it's hostile to Christianity, is learn to be a blessing. Learn to be a blessing in our community. It's not only be a part of the community, but be a blessing in our community. We have said this, and you've heard it, and you can say it with me. The greatest way to bless the community is to what? Start a church. When we start a church, it's the only organization that is out there in this world that will bless the community, body, soul, and spirit. 
the only, only thing out there. When we start a church, we are putting in place infrastructure, systems, people that can be a blessing to a community. What if we took it upon ourselves to think about how could we be a blessing to our community? Donald Miller said this, the reason the government is so big is because the church is so small. What a statement. The church would be bigger and be what it's supposed to be. Then the, the government wouldn't have to be so big. I'll tell you a quick story, and I don't really have time for it, but I'm going to do it real quickly. And that is that there was a, there was a church out in Portland. Portland is absolutely the epicenter for anti-Christianity, okay? It is as postmodern as you can get. The, the mayor of Portland is a homosexual. And the, the city council, I can tell you stories after stories, but this guy tells a story of a church taking the initiative and going to the mayor and saying, I want, our church wants to be a blessing to this community. First of all, there was all manner of resistance. No, we want to be a blessing to the community. Tell us where there's a need in the community, and we'll be a blessing to it. He said, well, I'll tell you what. There's 145 homeless single, homeless single mothers in Portland that I know of, that I can give you the names and the general locations to where they are. I said, what can you do about that? This pastor walks out, and he goes to 145 churches. And he says, would you take one homeless mother and make a difference in her life? And from that point forward, it began to revolutionize this person's perspective and the city council's perspective on what the church could be. If we as a church would be in our community a blessing to our community, what a difference our community would see in us and what a different perspective. No longer is the church the one banging on pots and pans and complaining about this and that. Now the church is being the blessing. You can read Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and see how the church was persecuted and all that kind of stuff and how the church goes out. And I preached an entire message on this back in the, in, in the fall and, and how the church goes out. And what does the community say about the church? I love this statement, Acts 8, 8. It says, there was much joy in that city because of the church. I hope that we are a joy-building community. Look at, look at, again, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Wow, what a statement. You've sent us to a pagan king, to a pagan nation, to a pagan village, to a pagan community, and we are asking us to what? Seek the welfare of this community? Absolutely. And pray that the Lord on its behalf for the welfare, you will find your welfare. As the city prospers, you prosper. What if we were a church that looked around? What if we were individual believers in Christ that looked around and looked for needs and we stepped up and we were the biggest blessing to Bentonville, Arkansas? That if Grace Point Church no longer existed, the quality of life in Bentonville would go down. What a blessing! we can be and should be in our communities. I like the way the message paraphrases it. It, put, it says it like this. Make yourselves at home there. Work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. And if things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. I, wanted, I thought about so many other ways I could 
illustrate this and think of examples for this. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring up two people from our congregation. Just two. I could probably bring up 15. I'm going to bring up two. Quite diverse. And let them tell their story. So Cecile, Letso, uh, and Laura, boy, would you come up here? And uh, I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. Uh, Cecile um, is uh, a long-time member of Grace Point. Thank you, Laura. Cecile um, was actually one of our founding members. Cecile and Jim uh, were a part of our church from the very beginning and in the days when we were still meeting in a house. And so they have been very much vested in our church and, and so excited about that. And then, as, as, you, know, as you might know, Cecile, Cecile is uh, our state senator. And uh, represents you and, and so forth in a very elected way. I don't see Cecile as that. Because when I think of senators and politicians, I think of politicians. I see Cecile, I think of a mother. I think of a woman of character. And, and I've known her for a very long time. And so as you think about Cecile, think about her from that perspective, a church planner, a mother, first and foremost. And Laura Boyd. No, have known Laura, I don't know, for two or three years. I don't know, two years maybe. Something like that. Uh, she graduated from JBU and came on a few years back as an intern in our children's ministry. Uh, she worked in our children's ministry and now has gone on to better things. Coffee brewing. But that's not what she, she, she works for Kennedy Coffee. But that's not what she really loves. What she really loves is what she does by serving soup at a soup kitchen locally here. And so you've got two people. Two ladies, both of them love God, both of them different phases and stages of life. Both of them have opportunity, both of them love this church and love you and love God. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask them two questions. And these two questions are questions that you need to ask yourself. The first question, I'm going I'm I'm to let Laura go first. I'm just going to ask you, Laura, how do you see yourself as contributing to the well-being of Northwest Arkansas. If, if, if what Jeremiah is telling us to do here is to look out for the well-being of our communities, how are you doing that in your life? All right. Well, I do work in the soup kitchen on Wednesdays, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my, what we call our family. We have the family. Yeah. And my ho- I have an apartment. It's just a little apartment in Spinville. I have a roommate. And we've kind of started what we call the family. I'll tell you what it is. We are just a group of people, 20s and 30s mostly, um, all different, you know, it's, you know, guys and girls, different races. We have, you know, people from, we have Mexicans and Indians and, like, Asian Indians mm-hmm. and all kinds of people. Anyway, we pretty much just live together, like, not live together, but we live in community with each other yeah. all the time. Yeah. We, um, we truly love each other, and um, we have family nights on Sunday nights. We have a free dinner on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. And we just invite everyone that we know or even people that we don't know. I would say probably like 40% of the people that, we, that come on family night were strangers when they were invited into my home. And uh, we have like, we just do things together. We show forgiveness to each other and we talk about things that are important. We live life. And I have a story to tell. Actually, I didn't know what story I was going to tell until last night. Four of us, fam- family members, decided to go out after work because it was a stressful night. It was late. And um, we met this other group of people. There were five of them. And we just started talking to them. I don't even know what everyone else was talking about. But I was, ended up talking to some guy about quantum physics. And so then we all went back to their house to play C-ball. 
And we ended up, like, playing skee-ball and then having a pull-up contest. And then we're all sitting around, and these guys are questioning us on, we started talking to them about, you know, the way that we live and how it's different and how we, we do actually love each other and all this stuff. And this other guy was like, how, how is that love any different? He was like, um, what, how do you, what do you say to people who have been loved and been betrayed by someone that they love? Or how do you, like, do you tell me, he was pretty much making us defend what we were saying with actual ways that we live. And so two of my friends, Joel and Amber, I got to hear them pretty much give their little testimony about what they've, what, how they how love has changed them, how God has changed them, and, like, how even in darkness they know that there's that love. And then I was so excited talking to these guys. I, like, I was sitting on the curb. I stood up, and I was like, the, lo- the difference is, is that love comes from God. And I was like, his love never changes, but when you encounter it, it will change you. And so that's kind of the way that I awesome. see myself yeah, awesome. contributing to the North Star. Like, we, we have this presence that we are. We are the family that we, we invite strangers in. We, you know, have tie-dye parties or whatever. But when we get to have a conversation with someone and tell them about why our life is different, we get to do that and then turn the glory back to God. Good. Will you make me a tie-dye shirt one of these things? I sure will. All right, yeah, good. definitely. Good. Uh, well, now, and that's great. And it starts simply by opening up your life, opening up your home. Not a big apartment, not a fa- just opening up your life and opening up your home. Being a blessing, and it led to that conversation. Awesome. Cecile, we've known each other for a long time, but tell us how you see yourself in your more of an official role, how you see yourself being a blessing to Northwest Arkansas. Well, uh, first of all, I remembered this quote that uh, went something like this, that the sign of God is that he leads you where you didn't expect to go. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sums it up. I was a wife, a mother, and ladies, let me tell you, the hardest job I've ever had was raising children. So my hat is off to you. And if, you, if you're raising them for the Lord, you are doing the very best job uh, that anyone can do. But in my official capacity, uh, God has given me an opportunity to stand for him, to stand on the principles that, uh, that are his. And in some ways, like, for instance, as a state senator, there are only 35 of us, and not only do the things that we vote on in Little Rock affect northwest Arkansas, but they affect the state as a whole. And one thing, just in the last legislative session, uh, I had a bill that made it illegal to do uh, partial birth abortions in Arkansas. And that passed, and it went, uh, it went from the House to the Senate, then to the governor's office, and now the governor has signed it. And in Arkansas, we cannot uh, do uh, partial birth abortions. And I think that's a good thing. Another thing is that uh, I like to uh, support laws that encourage small businesses and entrepreneurship and lower taxes because that helps families. That gives a person, a father and a mother, enough time to stay at home and nurture those children who are the second generation who will take that baton of faith and carry it forward. And I like to stand for things in Little Rock, and hopefully um, if I'm uh, elected to the U.S. Congress, to stand for things that will keep uh, our, our ability to witness and to stand for the Lord and to um, stand for what is right, uh, legal, because we are losing some of those rights. Our country is turning in 
in, in a different uh, direction. And religious freedom is uh, sometimes uh, taken from us in bits and pieces. And I've stood for religious freedom in Little Rock, and I will stand for it wherever the Lord sends me. Awesome, awesome. So whether you're opening up your home, you're opening up your schedule, your life, whether you're elected by the people or you're just volunteering your time in life, that's awesome. What challenge, in a sentence, in a simple statement, I'll put it like that, maybe it's two sentences, would you give to the listeners today uh, that would challenge them to be a blessing to their community? I thought about this, and I have two things. One is always be forgiving. I was thinking about how faithful God is to forgive us every time for everything, all our entire lives. And why should we be any different with the people in our lives? We need to always forgive everyone all the time for everything. We have no right to hold grudges against people. So that's the first thing. I would say look past yourself and forgive others. Two would be kind of ties in, would be be selfless. Always give the other person preference, um, whether it's if you get a bo- your business gets a bonus and you decide to give that bonus to your employees instead of taking it for yourself, that would be selfless. Or if, you know, you're running out to the car with your little brother and you let him have the front seat instead of yelling shotgun. Like, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah, right, just in every area. be selfless every time. And I think those are two of the things, that, the way that we live as a family that people have seen as a difference. With, with other people, so, yeah. Awesome. How would you challenge it? Uh, I would say just uh, open yourself up to the Lord and say, Lord, I will do whatever you ask of me and really mean it, and he may lead you where he has led me. And also do it with, uh, with great uh, concern and with seriousness because it's an awesome calling. And uh, as uh, my friend has said, uh, you know, do it in love and uh, uh, this reflects well on our Lord and our Savior. All right. Thank you. Give him a hand for sharing. Quite a diverse diversity at the same time, as I talked about last week, the diversity, but also the unity of how we come together with all the diversity, yet come together as one body, uniting together. You know, as I close, I just want to read that verse 11. It's the verse that everybody knows when they come to Jeremiah 29. Because it's in Jeremiah 29 that it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and hope. There's not a person in this room that would not love to claim that as their life verse. God, give me a future. Give me hope. God, give me welfare. But you know where? They did not know and they did not live that verse until they first lived in the time of exile. Let us live faithfully present wherever God puts us so that He can use us and so that He can have a beautiful plan for our life. Get wet. That's what I'm challenging you. Just get wet and realize that make that commitment to surrender wherever it is. Now, here's the challenge today. Every one of you all have a commitment card in your worship guide. That commitment card is your card, your commitment. It's, It's a piece of paper right now, but it could mean a very bold statement for you. And that is that idea of I surrender. Whether I'm surrendering my home and my apartment and my, my Sunday nights or I'm surrendering my time and my, and my, and my convictions to God or, or I'm surrendering my Sunday morning. Oh, my, you know, what an amazing response we've had in both our children and preschool areas. Now the primary thing we need are substitutes. Hey, I'll just be a substitute. 
in those, uh, in those classes. There's still other needs. Stop by these booths. But, you know, you know where your heart is right now. Are you willing to surrender? During this song, it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond. You can fill that out. You can, at any time, if you want to, and you're ready to make that commitment before God, come and just lay it here on these steps, across the front or on this platform. This is your time to respond to God. Let me pray.